0: Let's get to the headlines. Hello, welcome to Healthcare Strategies Headlines. Today's episode, CMS launches model to address maternal health, SCOTUS reviews medication abortions, Medicare lagging in treatment of opioid use disorder, and national healthcare spending returns to normal. This is Murphy, Vice President of Editorial Acceligent Healthcare Media, and I am very happy to be joined, as always, by Kelsey Waddell, Senior Editor and Multimedia Manager at Acceligent Healthcare Media. How are you doing, Kelsey? Hello.
1: I'm good.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's our last Headlines episode of the year. It I is. I we, we started this relatively recently, little, so yeah, we're, it's we haven't nice. exhausted ourselves too much. But uh, so now we're upon the Christmas season. Yes. Big question for you. Okay. Which is better or more exciting, Christmas mm-hmm. Eve or Christmas Day?
1: I think, so as we were saying before, I I have feelings about this. I think Christmas Day gets hyped a lot and everyone's like, this is when we open our presents. And that's like, I guess that's why the hype is so... But I think Christmas Eve is really underrated and underappreciated to me. I mean, my family has a lot of traditions around Christmas Eve. We go caroling, we bring cookies to the neighbors and stuff, and we go to church and we like sing and I don't know. It's a lot of singing. So that's kind of like the theme.
0: It's just about the singing. You <laughs> just like singing. It's really a lot of yeah. singing. But no, you totally know, I think
1: that that's, that's a highlight.
0: I think I agree. I think I agree. My parents used to host Christmas Eve with my large extended family.
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: that was so exciting the one thing you know when you get to christmas day after you've opened the gifts it's kind of like what now (laughs) yeah you know what i mean it's like it's over and it's like everything's in the rear view and you have to deal with that and i think that's a little too heavy whereas christmas eve you end up christmas eve and you're like you know when you wake up tomorrow it's still going to be exciting Mm -hmm. so yeah let's get into it all right let's go All right. So CMH launched the Transforming Maternal Health Model, a 10-year initiative to improve mental health outcomes and access to care. It provides funding and technical assistance to state Medicaid agencies for enhancing services for Medicaid and CHIP beneficiaries. The model focuses on reducing cesarean sections, decreasing the use of pain medication during birth, and lowering postpartum anxiety and depression. It encourages states to achieve the CMS birthing-friendly designation and use evidence-based practices for high-risk pregnancies. State Medicaid agencies may receive up to $70 million for implementation, with applications opening in spring 2024, the model supports a whole-person approach and aligns with the Biden Harris administration's goal for advancing maternity, care quality, and equity. Kelsey, you've seen it. You and I have covered it on this podcast and also our folks over at Life Sciences and, and Pharma News Intelligence who have covered reproductive health for quite some time. Yeah. If we know that that the United States is, is, is unfortunate and a leader in issues with pregnancy and labor for industrialized, modernized nations. So to me, it stands to reason that a program like this is, is definitely needed. And when you start getting into the Medicaid population, you know that there are vulnerable folks out there. So what are your thoughts on this program?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see, you know, it's a 10-year initiative and we haven't even started yet. So we'll see what what happens. But on the outset, I mean, the goal is certainly necessary. It's, it's needed to do something that is not just a short-term solution. We need something that's long-ranging. This is one of the, potentially one of the most obvious and overt areas of disparity in the U.S. healthcare system, at least, you know, probably top 10. And so I think it's good to see at the federal level, like a big push for hopefully real change on it.
0: Well, we know that giving birth is probably one of the most stressful times in anyone's life. You can imagine that when you put that within the context of economic and uh, medical challenges and uh, other socioeconomic things, that it really just ratchets it up, the kind of the intensity of those things. So To me, it seems like a logical thing to do. The 10-year program seems to be like this is something that is meant to be kind of institutionalized. So let's hope that the momentum actually leads to some kind of stickiness. And this just becomes the way things are done nowadays.
1: Yeah. SCOTUS has agreed to review medication abortions. The Supreme Court of the U.S. will be assessing access to an abortion medication called Mifepristone. This is the timeline for what brought us to this point. So... Buckle in. It's the ride. In January 2023, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine filed a lawsuit challenging the FDA's approval of the drug. In early April 2023, a federal judge in Texas issued a preliminary adjunction against the FDA's approval. The same month, a judge of the Supreme Court of the United States lifted restrictions on abortion pills, and then on April 21st, the Supreme Court upheld Mifepristone's approval during the ongoing cases. So you'd think case closed. Wrong. In mid-August, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit reviewed abortion pill access and supported instituting restrictions without reversing the FDA approval, As a result, here we are nearly a full year after the initial lawsuit with the Supreme Court agreeing to take on a review of the ruling at the manufacturer's request. Kyle, this lawsuit has, along with the story of Kate Cox, who sought an exception to the abortion rule, which the Texas Supreme Court then denied, Both of these stories are bringing up a lot of interesting questions about who has the right to to rule on medical decisions. There are a lot of questions being raised about how judges with no medical background can make decisions about whether or not patients should receive certain types of care. But then again, judges are often issuing decisions about areas of society in which they have no personal background. So what are your thoughts on this conversation?
0: Let me just say first that I'm in a privileged position as a white man Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make decisions about my body. At will, without anyone telling me whether I can or cannot make that decision, so I speak from a, a position of of incredible protections for the decisions I make. I think it's it's quite interesting in telling that the reversal of, of Roe v. Wade was about states' rights and things like that, and now that starts to call into somehow is calling into question the executive branch of of the federal government and whether it has the right to do this. This drug, which is, has been approved and accepted for decades, right? If FDA does not have authority to approve these things, then what does the FDA do? And then, <laughs> and if that's the case, then do you have to dismantle this organization that is responsible for nutritional facts on all of our food, that are responsible for approving medical devices and other treatments, and really safeguarding the entire American population? Yeah. Now, whether states want to choose or not want to choose for to be, you know, to support, to be against abortion, I feel like, you know, we're supposed to see how that's settled out. People are supposed to be able to vote on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to me that in this particular case, there are a lot of people making decisions that impact other people across state lines that I think goes against what the the larger political discourse was. So I think it's actually damaging. One of the, th- the hallmarks of the United States is life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, type of thing. Where's the liberty component? Because I'm not seeing a whole lot of that anymore. I think it's about just time that people start thinking about other people other than themselves. Yeah. And uh, maybe uh, projecting what they want on the world, you know? <laughs> doesn't always work that way. All right, let's talk about some other depressing stuff. So Medicare is lagging in the treatment of opioid use disorder. Only 18% of the approximately 1 million Medicare enrollees with opioid use disorder receive medication for treatment, according to a new report published by the Office of Inspector General. Additionally, a report revealed disparities in access to OUD treatment exist, especially among minority, low-income, and elderly Medicare beneficiaries. medication assisted treatment is underused due to access barriers and stigma. In 2022, only about 20% of those needing OUD medication received it, with even lower rates among specific minority groups. Florida, yes, Florida, had the lowest rate of Medicare enrollees receiving OUD medication at 6%. Increased education for healthcare providers about buprenorphine and action by CMS to address disparities are suggested. Part D prescriptions for naloxone increased significantly in 2022, but concerns about cost increase due to over-the-counter availability. Kelsey, you and I have been following the opioid epidemic for quite some time. It's hard to ignore. There's, there's, you know, there's movies about it on television and there's series about it. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems, you know, now that we've we've reached the point where we understand it's an epidemic and it's about treatment, it's very sad that one of the biggest programs in the country does not seem to be able to get this much needed medication treatment and therapy to the people who need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, you know, in covering covering the, the payer space, what are your thoughts on kind of where we are today and what kind of improvements need to be made?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just writing about this recently. I, I think it's interesting because there have been improvements in the prescribing rate, but it's definitely disheartening to see information like this in Medicare, which for folks who are older tend to have more likelihood of having kind of joint pain or other, you know, forms of ailment that might require some like real pain medication and pain management support. You would think that this would be our area where we have some of the strongest strategies for this because it's so common. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case. So I I do think that we've been seeing a push for other forms of pain management, like physical therapy coverage, and we have come to a place, I think, where we actually have started to know what can be done to prevent this from escalating, um, which, again, kind of makes it worse that we aren't seeing progress in this particular area of the industry.
0: It's quite interesting when you think about it. I mean, bringing this back to the abortion pill, but just, Mm -hmm. you know, there are restrictions on how certain things are prescribed, and then there are very little restrictions on others. And, you know, Opioids have been widely adopted and accepted and used over the years, but without much understanding of what the long-term implications of them would be. And now mm-hmm. we're reaping the consequences of those kind of clinical decisions. Honestly, and it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of a, a not so subtle indictment on on the industry that will make pain go away, but we we won't really ask ourselves the question of yes, but but what happens next? And this just kind of backfired. Mm-hmm. All, all in a span of a, a couple of decades of just seeing fatalities left and right and seeing young, old folks from all walks of life yeah. pass away from these use disorders. But it's just, it's very, very tragic. So I, I hope action will be taken relatively quickly and that folks who need this type of assistance are getting it because it's it's really a mark of a society, how you treat the, the vulnerable, I would say. And this, mm-hmm. the holiday season of caring.
1: Yes. Yes. So national health care spending is returning back to normal. There's really no segue yes. between those two, yes. um, but hey, Medicare spending yes. is potentially changing. So national health care spending levels are returning back to kind of pre COVID timeframe in 2022 U S national health care spending grew by 4.1% to 4.5 trillion, yes. um, which, you know, is still a massive I number. I can't even but... <laughs> quantify
0: that number. We say the word trillion like it's a real concept. can't wrap my head. That's up. ridiculous. Yeah,
1: I know. But hey, it could have been bigger. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Good point.
1: CMS shared that the healthcare's share of the GDP decreased to 17.3%. The growth was influenced by Medicaid and private payer spending along with reduced federal pandemic spending a record 92% of Americans had health insurance but 26.6 remain uninsured. Private payers were the biggest contributors to healthcare spending, contributing 29% of the spending and then followed by Medicare and then after that Medicaid. So one of the biggest drivers of healthcare spending across the board was hospital care, accounting for 30% of national expenditures and spending on physician and clinical services both of these sectors experienced slower growth in 2022. Retail prescription drugs saw an 8.4% increase in spending due to higher prices and more prescriptions. No way. Drugs? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Non-traditional medicine services like home health care grew by 9.7% and then spending in nursing care facilities and retirement communities increased by 5.6%. And
0: those numbers are only going to rise.
1: I mean, Kyle, what do you think about, like, I, I mean, I guess we were all kind of hoping that it would come back to sort of pre-pandemic levels in terms of it's not as high as, as it could have been, Yep. but um, I don't know. What do you what do you think of this?
0: Regression to the mean. I think healthcare care is one of those things where it's always fluctuating kind of around 20% of GDP. The fact that the numbers came down in some ways are really kind of an indicator really of uh, recovery from the pandemic and kind of how that has taken. Folks obviously skipped a lot of care. So, you know, that bill for your health, that bill of health kind of comes due at some point. So Mm -hmm. I would imagine there's a lot of conditions out there that are, if they're not acute now, are kind of on the precipice. And I would only assume that the healthcare expenditures are going to increase. We've got an aging population. We've got mortality rate that's heading in the wrong direction. And then as we mentioned before, we got opioids and all these other things going on right now and treatment becomes rather expensive for some of these things. I think that this right now is kind of I think it's kind of a misnomer in terms of the way things are trending, and we shouldn't hedge our bets that somehow we've gotten control over things. And really, we still don't have a health care policy at the federal level. I know you talked about it in the in the read-up about the number of insured folks. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's a credit to the Affordable Care Act, but you've got some in Congress hoping to dismantle this. So we don't know what's going to happen. We also know that Medicaid disenrollments are, are significant. So what happens with these uninsured folks. I mean, somebody's got to pay for that Mm -hmm. care. And if it's not coming through these quasi-federal state programs, then it's going to come out of the employee-sponsored health plans making up the difference. So I don't know. I I don't think this is good news.
1: Yeah. And I I think one of the numbers that I do want to highlight is the 8.4% increase in retail prescription drug costs and spending. I think, uh, I mean... That's that's going to be a really important number in the coming you year. You and I don't gamble, um, but
0: we bet that that one's going to go and up. And this
1: is 2022. This is, this is 2022. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. So... And the other thing is we know that private equity got into the home health space too in the nursing home. So typically when they get into that space, the prices start going up. Right. And this is, also, this is also the first year that we had IDR, independent dispute resolution mm-hmm. for out-of-network claims and services and stuff like that. So those price transparency rules, those who were – kind of making less have seen what the others the competition's been making so those prices have to rise so yeah Mm -hmm. this is probably the calm before the storm and the more and more you and I are talking about the more depressed I'm getting
1: I know I I I thought like maybe this would be a little bit like oh okay well at least we're not as bad as it was during the pandemic and that we could like have a bit of a high note to end on in this but y'all like 2023 what a year we're just gonna we're just gonna move on
0: (laughs) say goodbye (laughs)
1: Goodbye, just 2023.
0: Just goodbye. Yeah, yeah, not wasn't a big fan.
1: No, nah,
0: it's a weird year, yeah. and I think next year is going to be even weirder.
1: It it probably will be, but you know we can hope. We can hold out hope. There's always it? hope.
0: <laughs> anyway, well, Kelsey, as always, it's been a pleasure working with you this year. Yes. I'm I'm grateful for you, Same. and I am grateful to our listeners as well. So, yeah. folks on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you consume your podcast, thank you for making us a part of your routine. And we hope that the bar we set for ourselves this year continues into 2024.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I know I'm excited. Kelsey, you excited?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be good.
0: Awesome. Take care, everybody. Happy holidays. This is a Tech Target production.